Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. So when I first posted and did a podcast on how I am running for president, yes, it's true that it was sort of half as a joke, half as an experiment, half, I know it's three halves, half to make a point about how I think the two-party political system is out of date and it would be nice if everybody had a voice and had their diverse, unique opinions and a place to express it rather than everybody believing in one menu or another menu and that's it. But then I had Phil Stutz on the podcast. Phil Stutz, as you remember, is a campaign manager at the presidential level. He has helped congressmen, governors, even presidents get elected. I asked him, what do I need to do if I really wanted to run for president, if I really wanted to take it seriously? And he started asking me questions like, well, you'll hear on the podcast. It's very interesting, but this is how a presidential campaign manager thinks about presidential campaigns. And he almost is making me take it seriously. So I might, you know, hey, if Andrew Yang and a, a young independent like Donald Trump can do it, why not me is what I always say. Here we go. And uh, please enjoy. Phil Stutz. Welcome back, Phil Stutz. Now, as listeners, uh, that was a quick intro, but I'll do a little more. As, <laughs> as listeners remember, I'm doing a little, ex a bunch of experiments related to my recent book, Skip the Line. And one of them is that I am running for president of the United States, which, and I gave a bunch of reasons why I'm doing it in a recent podcast. I won't go over that again, but I basically wanted to say it's easy to do. You just go to fec.gov, fill out some forms, and within five minutes, you're running for president of the United States in 2024. Jay set up a Facebook group uh, where people could post their platform or their receipt from fec.gov or whatever it is. And um, Jay, what's the URL for the Facebook? What's the name of the Facebook group? It's uh, facebook.com slash groups slash president 2.0. Very good name. What do you need to join the group? You need to you need to show that you're running for president. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> oh, you just you need to just be a member on Facebook for more than three months, and you can join automatically join a good group. And usually, I would just approve them anyway. Okay. Yep. But you know, it's actually not as simple as it looks to run for president. I make it look easy, but we have Phil Stutz, who's a professional presidential campaign manager, to tell us what type of people run for president, who they are, how do they get started, if you want to take it really seriously. Why do people run? What are the reasons why people run? They're not always what they seem. And we're going to find out other things about running for office that I bet I didn't know and nobody else knew. So in any case, Phil, welcome to the show once again. Thanks, man. I'm excited You're starting to get to, to the record of no, most appearances on the show. I think I'm I'm beating the person that introduced us, which is Tucker Mack. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. excited to do anything to beat Tucker. <laughs> Just tell us your background a little bit. I know you've told us it before, but you've basically helped a bunch of people random losers become president of the United States? Yeah, so I've, uh, for 25 years, worked on uh, political campaigns. I've worked on eight presidential campaigns, three winning presidential campaigns, and been a part of 
1,407 election wins in my career. And uh, yeah, and then I decided to uh, skip the line. Sorry, bad pun, but it's true. And uh, take all that knowledge on electing uh, politicians and apply it to businesses, which is a total skip the line idea, right? Which we can all get into. But uh, yeah, and so that's what I do now. I run two companies, a, an ad agency in the political sphere and a marketing agency in the corporate sphere. You know, that is true, what you've done of using your the 10,000 hours that you spent studying, you know, how to get presidents elected. And you guys use really, we've talked about this on a bunch of podcasts before, how you use like the absolute state of the art in big data yeah. and analytics and so on and targeting to uh, use the internet to basically redefine how presidents run, uh, win elections. And, and you've described how it's changed from 2000 to 2004, 2008, every election, right. there's like new things that candidates do. So we, that's on prior podcasts. And, yeah. uh, Jay, do you remember what episode was the first one where we talked about that? Cause I, I think the My first God. and second you, you, yeah. um, I have to, I have to, I have to look it up. There's a lot of them, so I would say it's like, uh, it's like me and Steve, Ren uh, the guest Steve Rinella and Joe Rogan. Uh, I don't know if you know who Steven Rinella is. He's like this hunting guy, and I'm fascinated with him. And uh, he's been on like Rogan like six times, and I just go back and I just listen to all those episodes. <laughs> so, what, what have you learned from them? Well, I'm starting. I'm uh, beginning to hunt through the COVID thing. I've decided I want to to start hunting, and so I'm trying to study to understand how I can do it effectively. And uh, I'm set to go elk hunting in Colorado next uh, this fall. You're kidding. I've never, I feel like never this is a it. big change for you. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I like being outside. I realized during COVID, like how how close to nature and important that is for me. So. Oh, good. good for uh, that's, uh, you. Hunting and fishing is sort of like you for chess. That would be me and hunting and fishing. Uh, and I need to recapture that part of my life, which I used to do up until I was about 20 years old. Well, yeah, it's all these things that we loved as a child that gave us that kind of private dopamine hit when nothing else would, when we were, you know, either lonely as a child or mm -hmm. being anxious or whatever it was that you know, we didn't have an adult brain to kind of figure out. And even having an adult brain often doesn't work. And we return to these things, like let's say being outdoors or chess or whatever. And I think during COVID for better or worse, a lot of people return to those for that, that say like in a world that was so confusing, just like it was when we were kids that we turned to these miniature sources of pleasure to, and, and reawaken them. I think that's the, the, I believe there's silver linings in everything, right? Like my brother was in a horrific car accident 21 years ago, had a massive brain injury. Somehow there's a huge silver lining out of that. He had another child. He ended up recovering, going to business school. Like there's, and like, he's a miracle to me, right? So there's silver linings in everything. And I feel like with COVID, the silver lining is you had to sit in your shit for a long time and you had to figure yourself out or at least that's how I thought about it. Cause I had to, I, I'm one of these guys who's on the road two weeks of the month and I, I almost went a full year without traveling and I had to yeah. figure stuff out and I had to sit in my, my shit for a long time and figure it out. And it was not easy and it really sucked. No. And I but, remember even before then you were going through a big period of intense figuring things out. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, I'm glad COVID, helped for that and, yeah. and, and then you're continuing that journey.
But let's talk about sure. running for president. Because I think, I, what do you think of this idea? Like I, most people probably don't know that lots of people every four years run for president. It's not just three Democrats and five Republicans. No, I mean, the most, pe the most people that ever ran for president uh, up until 2016 was the 2016 Republican primary. I think there were like 17 candidates in that until 2020 when 24 people ran the Democratic primary. So what you, this is you getting on the ground floor of a trend that's starting to go. You but, know, but you know what? It's not, even like, it's not even like I expect to be on the stage with any of these people. All you have to do really is go to fec.gov True. And and file. This is my campaign committee. Yep. This is my campaign organization. Blah What's blah. What's the blah. name of your campaign committee? Uh, I think it's just James Aldershaw for president, twenty twenty four. Let me see. Um, As a marketer, we, can we work on? Uh, can we do something more fun with that? Well, I want to. I want to come up with a fun name. You don't have to put your political party. Uh, <laughs> That's good. At this point, so uh, I want to. Maybe we can. Maybe we can do that. Let me see. I'm going to search for my my filing. By the way, so the I have a lot of opinions on this, and I think I can uh, I can help not only you but this community, which I think is kind of fun if you think about it, because this is a chance in a in a weird way to kind of strike back against the system, which I'm exactly. always a big fan of. Like I'm I'm anti-establishment in everything I do, uh, or everywhere I think about it. And so yeah, so um, I'm I'm ready. You, what what questions do you have? How how can I serve here? Yeah, so I just want to know like. And I'll say just my reason why I think everybody should run is that everyone always says, oh, if you don't vote, you don't have a voice. But I feel like people have been kind of brainwashed into this mythological concept of voting. You're one vote out of 150 million people. Yes, in local elections, it's voting is extremely important. Presidential elections, very few votes are really important. Like out of 150 million votes cast, I think in 2016, it boiled down to about half a million votes that were actually right. relevant in in going in in helping the election turn one way or the other and, and certainly and, if you're from a big and, state that it's unlikely yeah. to help uh except in the year 2000 which started in my journey 537 votes uh decided the presidency uh, yeah 537 votes george w bush beat al gore in the state of florida by 537 votes and that put him in the electoral college lead and he won the presidency so right so in terms of the election, you're right. Like if you're if you're in Florida or Ohio or any of the others, there's like maybe a handful of states that have the potential to be swing states. New York City and California are not, I mean, New York State and California are not yeah. two of those states. Then your vote counts. But this idea that you should have no voice in the political system if you don't vote is ridiculous. So that's why I went to fec.gov to file for president because now I can say, hey, I do have a voice. I'm in fact running for president to express it. And- it's another, it's a, It's like you were referring to just now, it's a statement against, I don't believe in the political system. I don't believe you should have to vote for the lesser of two evils. Why do we have to have a two-party system? Well, you know, let's say, let's take an extreme. Why can't we just have a big social network like Facebook or a, a Facebook group where everybody who's running, let's say a million people can post their platform and by likes, we can express the candidates that we like more and and we their their platforms. I mean, you could get into real substance and real issues as opposed to the 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 joke debates that we have uh, now. But what I'm curious about is what is the psychological makeup of someone who runs for president? Like, are they who? What kind of Psycho, what kind of psychopathic? Ego? Yeah, and uh, no, I mean, narcissist for sure. Like a 
the thousand. I mean, I don't care if it's Barack Obama or George W. Bush or Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They're all narcissists. Now we're all we all have elements of narcissism in us, but I think if you're going to run for the most powerful office in the world, there's a lot of narcissism to think that you're the guy that they're going to choose. Uh, yeah, and also, why would you think? That you know that you have the capabilities over everyone else to run the world, essentially. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and I'm not criticizing. I'm like, you know, maybe, absolutely not. I'm not either. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm a hundred percent. Like somebody's going to do it, right. so why not me? You know, you know, you see that throughout. Now, when you have 24 candidates running in the Democratic primary, that's a lot of narcissists, and a lot of people knew they weren't going to win, but. A few factors probably kicked in. And by the way, I'd say the same thing about the 2016 Republican primary. It has nothing to do with party. Um, if you run for president it, and lose, it gives you a huge platform to do other things. Some people want to get a TV contract and make them write books and make money. Look at Newt Gingrich, right? Uh, or Mike or Huckabee. Or Andrew Yang. Or, well, Andrew Yang's now using it as leverage to run for mayor, right? Yeah. And so uh, there are all these factors. Look, I guarantee you give truth serum to Andrew Yang. He knew he was not going to win in 2020. He right. 100% knew he wasn't going to win. But he also, to compliment him, he caught lightning in a bottle for someone that shouldn't have gone anywhere, which is why I tell you, maybe you got a little hope here. Because what I loved about Yang was that he chose an issue early on and he stuck with it and it ended up going viral and he got it to go viral, which was, uh, the universal basic income, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a fascinating way to look at it. Like, and I would say Bernie Sanders, who was relatively unknown uh, among the general Correct. public until he started running for president in 2016. Yep. You know, I, I remember him vaguely from 2000, actually, when he switched parties from Democrat to independent. Yes. Because I remember the stock market that day went up a lot for some reason. And and I remember, why is it going up? And then a cab driver told me, oh, this senator from Vermont left the Democratic Party. I thought he went from Democrat to Republican and thought, oh, okay, the stock market likes Republicans. Yeah. But uh, he actually became went from Democrat to socialist. But, um, uh, but yeah, if you have like a strong... Basically, if you have a strong idea, and you, you, I was about to say that that gives people money, like universal basic income or Bernie Sanders with wealth redistribution, but that's not true because um, tr uh, Trump's issue was immigration, and that proved to be a viral issue from someone who is relatively unknown on the presidential level. And trade. Who in the world runs on trade issues? That's one. He ran on immigration and trade issues. That was his outlier idea. I mean, and and you're really good at identifying those ideas and putting them out there and getting viral. I mean, obviously you did it last summer, um, but the question is like, what is your hard stance that you want to stand for something? So if you ask me if I were to file, and I won't file because I don't want to deal with the Federal Election Commission. But um, uh, I choose to vote, not file. So, uh, as is your right, men right, exactly. and women died for your right to vote, not your obligation to vote, right. but your right to vote. So, if it was me, it would be I, I want to be a contrarian. I want to I want to be the person that allows conversations on everything, and be a complete contrarian 
in anti-woke culture, right? Like that's probably my most passionate thing that I'm thinking about right now. Um, and I've got uh, ideas on it that I want to implement by the end of the year. Like what? Um, Cause I agree uh, with you on this. I'm, I'm going to start a, uh, a, a podcast on this and only have people on that want to have contrarian conversations. I don't care if it's, uh, a civil rights leader, or if it's a white supremacist, I I want all conversation. I'm a I'm a First Amendment absolutionist, and I, I'm not going to have a white supremacist. I, but what I'm saying is, I want to bring people on that think differently and bring different ideas to the table because I think that's what la we lack so much as a culture right now. That's me. Like, right. what would you think for you? Well, first off, I love that idea, but let me give you a format idea that I think could really work that I haven't seen in the podcast world. Like the idea of two people debating an issue that's happened. And, and I I think it's, not, it, it's not a debate. Let me give you, let me give you clarity if that's okay. Can I yeah, do that? Yeah, of course. So it's a conversation. It's not an interview. It's just two people having a conversation, asking questions of each other and understanding their standpoint or their point of view. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Uh, I, I like that a lot. And, and I'll, I'll just throw this out. It might be a bad idea or a good idea. I think people should only come on if they're willing to take the other person's view and debate it strongly, even better than, so for instance, if you have a pro-life person and a pro-choice person on the pro-life person should argue the pro-choice side and the pro-choice person should argue the pro-life oh, side. And the reason is, is because oh, I, I think love that. Yeah, it's it, and and not it, it's important for two reasons. One is it'll provide an interesting perspective on the issues, which is what your goal. The other is it's a it's a self development thing. In general, before people have a discussion where yeah. they express their opinions, where fifty percent believe one thing, fifty percent of people other, it's very useful to invert your argument or steel man your argument, and which means argue this at least as well, if not better, than the other side, and that. Well, helps you with arguing. And, and this really works. This technique is amazing how well it yeah. works. So like, I want to have, uh, you know, who Van Jones is? Yeah. He's a, uh, African-American, very liberal, but the guy at least takes different opinions. Like he, he'll call out when, he, when other people are wrong, whether it's his side or not. I kind of like that. Like that's the kind of guy I want on. I also want on Candace Owens who calls out a lot of different things as well. But what would be really interesting is to ask them questions that say, Candace, Van, take this side of the issue. I'd like to hear you take, you know, like go with it. And if they give me some stock answer, then, then they failed the test, right? But right. I'd love to know how they would take the other side of the issues they, they argue for. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful because I'll, I'll tell you, there's so many reasons why it's helpful. Other, you know, first, if you're the person doing this, taking the other person's side, like steel manning your argument, a, it helps to understand again, their, uh, you know, another perspective because you have this different cognitive, you're not just arguing against them, you're arguing for them. So sure. it helps you to have a different cognitive bias on how you think of the issues. Second, it helps you win the argument on your side because you'll, once you practice arguing their point of view, then if they have a bad argument, you could say, listen, you know, <laughs> I'm willing to debate you, but the way you just debated this probably is not the most effective way. More effective would be X, Y, and Z. And you could say that because you've studied how to argue their side. And that actually is a useful technique for winning a debate or argument or whatever. 
I love it. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely going to totally use this. Uh, yeah, and I, I wish I presidential candidates would use it. It'd probably help them in these yeah. debates. But, As you know, I implement, sometimes I implement James Altucher ideas. So uh, yes, every this now is and a then. good one. This is a good one. All right, but what would your, I'm, I'm curious on you, like what right. would your, what was something that you think would, again, you're right. Yang ran on universal basic income, but Trump ran on the wall, make America great again, and trade. I mean, people run for president on those issues, Yang or Trump, and they got a ton of momentum out of it, right? So how would you think of this? Right. And so just on, on those guys and, and all the other people who run for president, it seems like there's two ways to have like a theme for your campaign. One is, like most candidates, you use intense polling data to understand what issues people care about. And then based on that, you're yeah. able to, you know, focus on those issues. And the other way, of course, is if you have a real natural belief in some issue and you're willing to, to argue it. So, you know, I think, I think Yang's is a mixture of both. Like he, he probably used some data and as he told me on my podcast, on this podcast is that he felt there was a a lack of supply in the market of ideas. And he felt he could bring something to the table with new creative ideas. So I, I think the, the original impetus is that I don't think there should be a two party system. I think democracy is, has changed because of, um, faster. I mean, in 1780, we didn't have a phone. We didn't even have telegraph then internet, of course, or social media. So we didn't have electron, any kind of electronic voting. So the technology is here now to really ask like, oh. well, how can the political system, we've improved every other area of society. How can our political system be improved so that a people feel they have more choices and more and more opportunity to express the choice and more people could simply run and have a voice in the ideas that are often shared and spread during a presidential election. Man, you're, you're already really good at politics because you didn't answer the question. So um, I, I, <laughs> I thought so I was being I complimented for a second. I, I know. <laughs> so I have an idea of that. Like, so if you, like, let's just take Yang again. He was running on universal basic income when no one was listening to him. And he didn't give up. He was consistent. He stayed with it. Finally, he got a little momentum and then it snowballed. And then it turned into, hey, this guy may have a shot. And he didn't. But look at what he's running for New York City mayor now, right? And he actually finished in at least the top 10 out of 24 candidates when everybody said he was going to finish 24th, right? And his so followers he, were so passionate about him. They were passionate and good for them. Yeah. You're going to hate what I would advise you on uh, as your issue, but let me try. Is that but, okay? But, but what, why? Uh, so the issue, I really do believe that a two party system is kind of ruining I agree. America. And that that's this your issue? Well, that's. Yeah, I would make that the issue because that's a big mm. issue. Uh, people mm. don't have a voice in this country and how it's run. Yeah. And that would give people a voice. Now, people are people would think that's crazy. You know, uh, at least universal I think basic. you have to have something very specific. It has to be something very specific. So either All you right, have then a... here, here, here's okay. another thing that I've been an advocate for, but haven't really had an opportunity to express it that much. This is related to my article that went viral. The New York City is dead article. Oh, but, I'm unaware of that. Did you write something on that? Yeah. <laughs> and, but let's, let's focus this, like after this pandemic, I think what might've been a good candidate for many large cities before the pandemic is different afterwards because there's enormous, enormous economic difficulties that no one doubts that every major city, San Francisco, LA, yep. Chicago, right. London, 
New York, on and on. Every major city is going to have enormous financial problems for reasons, you know, that we've discussed a million times. Uh, and they're unlike any problems that have ever existed before in the history of America, like very different from a, a normal financial crisis. And so I think, like Andrew said, I think there is no supply right now in the market of ideas to help cities. And innovation in the cities is one of the most important things that keeps America going. Like if you want to make America great again, like truly, like it's not a slogan, you need the cities to function. That's where ideas happen. Right. That's where innovation happens. That's where scenes and communities and artistic movements right. and innovation so, develops. So you've so, got to figure out the bullet that solves that problem. So you, I'm okay. gonna, can, I, can I give you can I give you one suggestion or do you want to go? Do you want I, to go? I, I want to just tell you my go. bullet, negative sales taxes. So, mm -hmm. which is basically like the equivalent of universal basic income, but for sales taxes, not income taxes. A universal basic income, like Andrew describes, is essentially a negative income tax. Like if you make below a certain amount, instead of paying positive income taxes, you pay negative income taxes, meaning the government gives you money, which is the uh, another way of right. saying universal basic income. So the problem cities have is that the velocity of money in a city now, you get paid and it instantly goes to Amazon. Everybody just shops at Amazon. So there's no, money doesn't circulate anymore in cities. And if money did, if there were incentives for money to circulate in cities, you would solve a lot of problems. This is why, for instance, someone like Yang, who, who tries to think of creative ideas is proposing casinos in New York city, which is not necessarily a good idea, but it's at least creative. My idea is you make up a local currency, call it like New York city bucks or whatever. There's lots of ways to implement it like crypto or whatever. You don't need crypto, but that would be a way to implement it. And New York city bucks can only be spent in New York city. And you get, if you use New York City bucks to buy something in a physical store in New York City, for instance, then you get money back. You don't pay extra money like a sales tax, you get money back, a negative sales tax paid in New York City bucks. And it's only convertible to US dollars one-to-one, -one, let's say 10 years from now. So, uh, so for 10 years, there's huge incentive to bring the velocity of money back in order in cities, bring tourists back to cities, bring people buying. In, don't you in think this getting... could also sell in rural areas under a uh, income? Uh, Absolutely. Or, 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 or cities that are aggressive with it. Like let's say Kansas city decides they want to be a major hub of technology and innovation. Kansas city can do it and, and, you know, have a different formula for it and, and focus it on technology or, or whatever. So you, you, it gives you another tool to implement policy in your city and also helps your city's uh, economic problems. And, you know, people are, we're going to need this. No one's going to do it uh, because nobody even knows about an idea like this. That's why someone like Yang, who's very smart, is coming up with casinos rather than something really innovative. And, you know, because it's a hard concept, really. No one's ever, I've never seen this proposed anywhere. Whereas universal basic income, by the way, the first person who proposed it was Nixon. So uh, it's not, it's not a new idea, but it's new right now which is why well, I right. used it. But that's that would be uh, that would be another issue that I care uh, about. I, first of all, I think that's really smart in the sense of you found something very specific that people go, yeah, uh, I work really hard and I could get money back on sales and it could go into, or you're looking at like a 10-year treasury bond or something like that, that it would go into. Is that what you're, what you're Basically, like if you just shop, like right now, again, like you shop at Amazon for books, but let's say you went to a, a local mom and pop bookstore in you know, New York city where let's say you lived in New York city and, and that's what you did. Um, then you would, in, again, instead of paying the 6% or 7% sales tax that New York city currently charges, right. 
you would pay your money, but then you would get back in New York City bucks, seven or 8% of your purchase price. So now you're incentivized to shop locally instead of shopping at Amazon. And, and then in 10 years, you simply can take all your New York City bucks that you've accumulated by shopping locally and you can convert it to dollars on a one-to-one -one basis. Why would you ever not shop in your local town then at all the places that offer mm. New York City bucks? This is the big problem is how do you get people shopping locally again? And how do you keep the money circulating in the city? It's a hard okay. concept though, that's the problem. Yeah, I think you'd have to make it a little more, here's my suggestion. Like, I don't know how you would be able to implement specific city on the federal level, but if you could say, you know. I, I know so, how to do it. You do? Yeah. Tell me. Well, I, I would use crypto because then you could easily well, track. That's, so this was my idea. You should be the one that says, I know you don't like want to go into the, like the crypto world, but like we're, I want to change the monetary policy from, from the US dollar to Bitcoin or crypto within 10 years. The exchange completely changes and switches over. There's a lot of momentum right now. Uh, it's you know secure. You could rail against all the things about the dollar that are insecure and how the government's on the take on it. And you know you could, like Jan, uh, the Treasury Secretary Yellen came out the other day and like bagged on you know Bitcoin. You could there's so many holes you could poke in that kind of argument. And then you could say as here are some sub ideas on how you could utilize that. I love it because what you're saying is very specific, right? It's still a specific idea. We're going to make crypto the official, some form of crypto is the official currency. Don't you feel like it will be one day? Yeah. I mean, if not US, Possibly. it'll certainly be for some other countries. Mm -hmm. And at the very least too, it'll, it'll replace an asset class like gold as yep. a safety currency. Correct. And, and just a, a, a few comments on that. People always say gold's a real thing. I can hold it. Yeah, I can hold a rock also. And it has the exact same functionality as gold. <laughs> like gold is just a rock. And we've decided, oh, it's precious though. It's a precious metal. It's real. Well, gold, there's no reason gold should be a currency any more than there's reason like a paper, a little piece of paper with a pyramid and an eye on it should be an official currency. So so whereas Bitcoin, the innovation in Bitcoin is there's actual functionality. It's not just invisible ones and zeros. You, there's things you can do with crypto. And to your point, Bill, I could say- And you can't print endless amounts of Bitcoin. You can't print endless amounts of crypt, uh, of, of Bitcoin and, and other quality cryptocurrencies. Right. Right. Um, this is why, for instance, so. some cryptos I felt from the beginning were, were very scam-like because you could print them like mm -hmm. Ripple. I don't know if people realize, I just think that's a giant- scam, but that's another story. But, uh, I, I, I like this because then you could say, listen, here's why you would want to do this, particularly after the pandemic is because X, Y, Z, ABC, here's seven major problems you can solve. And here's how we would solve them using crypto ideas that no one's ever thought about. And let's do it. We can, we can reduce the price of lawyers. For instance, we could reduce the price of health insurance. We could save our cities. It's inflation and deflation resistant, correct? Right. It's, uh, I mean, it's not, it's hard to say what inflation resistant means. Like if, yes, it's, it's resistant to inflation that's denominated in, in current U.S. dollars. Right. But Bitcoin itself will not inflate.
you and I are two creative people. So now I'm getting another idea out of this. So can I Tell run me. it on you? Okay. Which is you're already going to win over the millionaire billionaire class on this idea. In fact, they're going to swarm to you. I love it, right? You need to target and hone in on the middle class and the lower class and tell them how it benefits them. That's where I would take that message. You've already got a constituency that's on board with this. Don't go preach to them. They're already going to come to you. The people that don't are the people that go, I don't get it. I don't understand. And so for you to simplify the message of how how it would work or what it means to their wallets or what it means to their life, and then hone in on you know, I don't care if it's uh, rural, uh, you know, Midwest or inner city, appealing to those people and saying, here's what it means to you. You, you know, and, and being very specific and you make $30,000 a year and, and I am produced New York bucks. That means you're going to get X money amount. That, that adds another $10,000 uh, yeah. to you over a 10 year period. Think about you could use that to go to city colleges, to go to private schools for your kids. Like what? Like there's so many ways, but you're going to, you don't have to appeal to a higher class. They're going to like that idea. So go find the, the, the target market that doesn't understand it. And that's where the momentum is going to build. So that's a really good point. And as much as I don't really like populist style rhetoric, the, the real truth is, is that Bitcoin is a populist sort of currency it, mm -hmm. and, and, and the populism aspect is stop letting the banks run your life because they see, they basically control everything you do by oh, yeah. controlling the currency. The, the government and the banks control everything you do because they control the currency you use. So you have fees every step of the way. And these bankers who have destroyed America largely, they have no concept of innovation and, and what real capitalism is, uh, the banks have taken over. The lawyers have taken over. It's this a great takes message. power away from banks and lawyers. That's what it does. That's what it was built for was precisely this reason. Take away power from bankers, whether private or, or public, uh, and take away power from lawyers because turns out you shouldn't have to pay $20,000 to get an escrow or get a divorce or, or write a will. You could do it in in a couple of clicks with with correct implementations of cryptocurrency, which is why pe people don't understand that aspect of, of crypto. And that's why you could be that voice. And I think you always got to figure out, you know, I, I talk about this with you a lot. I don't care if it's on a political campaign and I don't care. I do this with all of our corporate clients. Let's find, you know, I, I call it comparatizing in the corporate world because they don't like the word negative advertising, but you got to kind of find a guy to somebody to go pick a fight with because that's, what's going to draw eyeballs into the message itself. Right. And so, um, you know, for example, uh, we, we were working with a, a high end t-shirt and clothing company and we ran an ad campaign that says, don't buy your clothes from a shoe company. Just don't do it. Right. So like we were taking a shot at Nike and the, you know, the people that just make shoes and sell cheap clothes. Right. For you, going after that and saying, like, going after the big banks or Wall Street or, as we saw with the GameStop story, hedge funds and, and saying, like, they've taken advantage of you enough. It's a very populist message, right? It's and populist and, it, and it's true. It's like, true. It's like, absolutely, like you got to do these things market. in truth. They, they, you don't pick an enemy and just, like, take it out, right? right. I'm saying you got to be Good. truthful about it, but no one trusts anything coming out of wall street or the banks right now. They don't, I, and, I've and seen nor, the data. Nor should they like, like 
every little nuance on Wall Street is scammed to, to hurt Main Street. I've seen it in action. The big guys win, the little guys lose. That doesn't have to be the case. That's not really a law of the universe that it has to be this way. 100%. So I, you, the only thing is you're going to have to do the work to, to take the big macro idea, break it into smaller micro ideas, and then figure out how exactly it works and then the target you're going to go after. And for me, if I was just looking at this cold, uh, you're, what everybody's listening to is a brainstorming session. It's a legitimate brainstorming session. James yeah. and I have not talked about this at all. So uh, I would say you have a massive opportunity with middle class and lower income people, which is where the populism comes from in this country. You know, uh, it's kind of like the social media networks, like social media networks started as a movement. It became a business and now it's a racket. Well, that's what we're seeing right now with Wall Street and the big banks. And like these capitalism movements became businesses and now it's just pure on racket, right? Uh, I say the same thing about social media, right? It's totally a racket now. There's going to be a reset. And what you're saying is crypto or blockchain or Bitcoin or whatever is that reset. And there's no way it's going to turn into a racket. It's protected from that. Yeah, ex that's exactly right. And a, a corruption on every level, it's, it's almost going to be, I almost feel sorry for corrupt people because they're not going to have any more opportunities. Like that's it. It's going to be over. And uh, uh, this is the way to do it now, but I don't want to seem like this crypto tech, this no, techno, you got you know, Yeah, totally. Uh, you got to be a human. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, so two questions. One is, um, in general, how does someone like an Andrew Yang really get out there? Like he had never held office. I don't really know how he did it because like, like how would I do it? I'm like, uh, yes, I have a social media platform. I have this podcast. But how do you like how was Andrew taken seriously ultimately? Um, is it because he also happened to have a very specific community that was was listening to him and was supporting him? Just like like if a if you're a, an Indi from India and you came to America and an Indian person's running for president, you're gonna have an audience. Everybody from India who came here is gonna listen to you. Yeah, I worked for Bobby Jindal's presidential campaign briefly in 2016. That's exactly he's from, I mean, he was born in America, but he's of Indian descent. So yes, I, I know exactly how that works. I ran as governor for it. So I, so, like, so if you look I at know like you're the, using that example. I've actually done that. So. so so if you look at, right, that, that's amazing. I, I forgot, I knew you had worked yeah. with Jindal and I forgot so, that. But, but, but like, if you look at the independents who have stood out, they either are an Andrew Yang who has a very specific community that will get hyper passionate about him. Plus he's a very likable guy. There's a charisma factor. Or you have Trump or Ross Perot who are, billionaires like you know the bloomberg raised more money than any other candidate in this election and he still right. wasn't even taking that seriously right or you have someone who is part of the traditional system so people know him from that but he is as a a, a a contrarian point of view like a ron paul or or people forget john anderson in 1980 um who was just a congressman from i believe illinois yep, yep. so so those three categories of independence seem to do well and I'm, i don't really fit into any of those buckets so there, there is a pattern to follow, and that is, uh, let's take Pete Buttigieg. So uh, I, one of the things that I like about the way the presidential primaries work right now, uh, and everybody hates, uh, some people complain about, oh, why does Iowa get to be the first people to decide? And then New Hampshire, and then South Carolina, like, this is so ridiculous. You know, why not the big population centers? Well, because 
you have to see who's going to go humble themselves and go knock on doors and go sit in a room with three people and tell them you want to run for president. And you're like, it's the most, uh, it's the, I always say this, like nothing will crush your ego and your narcissism, like running for president and not getting any traction. (laughs) It's miserable, right? Um, What, a lot like what's of a, what's candid- an experience you had where you were on the campaign trail and just w- with a candidate and just no one was showing up. The yeah. candidate was trying to be help- hopeful. Yeah. And then eventually I mean, I've seen just this quit. A, a thousand times. You want to quit, but the people that don't quit are the ones that come through and, and, and have a shot. Andrew Yang was speaking in front of three people in, a, in California trying to like gin up momentum. But he had a specific idea. He went into Silicon Valley. He won over a bunch of them. You know, he went up into the tech people in Austin and in New York, and he went over them, and there started being a buzz about him. And then he went crazy. You know, he tried everything he could in some of these early primary states. And although he didn't get very far uh, as far as, like, presidential primary wins or even, you know, and that stuff. And votes. I think he put all his eggs in New Hampshire, if I remember right. But... Um, he raised a ton of money. He got a ton of press out of it. And he's using that experience to now go run for me. He's like, oh, I did all these things, ridiculously stupid mistakes. In the presidential campaign, now I know how to really be a candidate and run for office. So I'm going to run for mayor. And he's probably going to be a thousand times, he'll, he'll do, be much more successful running for mayor. He may not win, but he may, he, he's going to be much more successful because he's had that experience. Ultimately, I'm saying this, you, you're going to have to figure out how do I get momentum and understand that for six months in a year, I'm not going to get much momentum at all. There, yeah. Like, like who would be, it, it's a, it's a compound, it's like compound interest, right? It's the best way to describe it. Uh, you know, it, it's small, positive gains incrementally. And then all of a sudden it's exponentially. And I think that's what every successful candidate has experienced most successful candidates have experienced. So, so let me ask you, so like, what would be the first step then? Let, let, let's say uh, you're almost convincing me to take this seriously. I'm getting excited. Like what would be, the, what would be the first step I would take to have to, like, I don't want people to think already, like people think, oh, it's that crazy guy who, who just so happened to predict everything correctly in terms of all these different predictions on yeah, CNBC. Right. Oh, it only took eight years. So everybody forgot that you actually got it right. Yeah, I know. So, uh, first of all, it would be a nap. I would look at, I mean, again, I would actually think through this, but if we're brainstorming here, yeah, I'd announce, I'd be very deliberate and very organized in announcing things on your own platform and trying to get people to sign up and trying to get momentum inside there. Right. And then asking people to donate, but not donate the legal limit, donate, you know, a fraction of that. And then you need to figure out, cause you did this with your, uh, with your book your first book, or not your first book, but the last book, you know, you, you should take, uh, if you can take, figure out the, how you could take, you know, crypto or whatever, or Bitcoin as, as fractions of Bitcoin as, as uh, a contribution. And then you have a huge network. I would go, after you've done that, you can point to what you're doing to your network, uh, all the people that have platforms out there and say, let's have this fun discussion. This is an issue, whether you take my ser- candidacy seriously or not, this is a really good issue that we should be talking about in America, and it's not partisan. It's the least partisan thing. It's actually helping Americans, and it's taking fraud out of the system. Let's have that conversation. So, like, um, 
you know, uh, Tom Bilyeu is, is starting to pay attention to these types of issues. Like you've been on his show before, like it's like going on these shows and then you're going to get some momentum out of that. And you're going to, again, you know, I always tell businesses, you eventually want to take your business off Amazon. It's impossible to do now if you're an e-commerce business, but ultimately you're renting from Amazon, right? They get to keep the data. You don't know all the, like you need to own your own data. So you need to be able to collect the people, build a movement, ask those people that have signed up. Let's say you get up 50,000 people signed up within the first six months. Then you're going to ask those people and you're going to retarget and add, run ads to those people. And you're going to get them to forward it on and, and pass it on and have people hear your message. And you're going to put stuff out. And like, it just grows from there. And it takes time and it takes a lot of effort, but it's using your platform, leveraging that for other people's platforms, and then starting to really build a structure and infrastructure. You know what it reminds me of? Tell me. I'm going through this right now. So you've probably done this too. There are incremental changes that businesses go through, right? And so when you go through, like we were a wacky corporate marketing startup and we were really successful over the last few years. And now we're like, oh God, we can't be a chaotic creative agency anymore. We have to bring order and systems and processes. We have to go to sort of a 2.0 as a company. And it's tough inside the company for people that have been here for a long time. They're like with me, work for me. And they're like, hold on, who are these new people? And how come, uh, you know, they're doing this? And like, everybody doesn't know where they stand and you're trying to put new systems and processes. Like, it, it, and that's how a political campaign goes. You're, you're crazy, progressive startup. And then all of a sudden you get all this momentum and you get all this money and you're actually going to run this thing. And you're like, hold on, I got to put real systems and processes. I got to go win Iowa. I got to go put an infrastructure in New Hampshire and in South Carolina. And then you got to play the game the way the game's supposed to be played. But you've got an opportunity to be on a, on a level that no one else is playing on in that crazy startup phase. So I really hate the thought of raising money. Like another idea that I've had in the past is that campaign, and this is why I like something that's very democratic using electronic I, you know, media is you don't have to raise as much money. Look yeah. how much free advertising Trump yeah. got on Twitter, for instance. And how much money do you think one needs to have? Like how much did Andrew have at, uh, raised before he was taken seriously? I don't know. He didn't raise a ton, but it eventually it snowballed and he raised, he, he did really well in fundraising, like when it was all said and done. Do you think it's because you have like one or two benefactors initially who then get their friends to help you out? Yeah. You, and fundraising is really easy. You go to your low hanging fruit first and then, then you sort of expand that tree out. Uh, and that, that's what he did. It's the same way I, to get your message out and all that stuff. Yeah. So interesting. So maybe, maybe, for someone like me, maybe the right uh, sequence of events is A, um, use my own personal platform, like social media, email list, whatever, to just express what I believe in and get feedback and, and, and see how people respond and so on. You know, as that gets taken more and more seriously, the more I repeat it and the more people like it, presumably, then eventually it gets media and so on. And then eventually I start talking about it at events and, and then I start raising money, something like the that. The one thing, so here's the other, the opposite, which is Marianne Williamson, who ran for the Democratic nomination in yeah. 2020. She pandered after a while, right? 
you lose when you pander. What do you mean pander? Well, so she started going on shows and trying to act like she's a big dancer. And like, she just started doing goofy things that didn't look authentic. Uh, this idea that we're rolling with right now is very authentic to who you are. That is who you yeah. are. You're very, I, I know you're passionate about that. So the second you try to get out of that zone, and the good thing about Andrew Yang, I mean, again, let's just use that as the model. He never, he never wavered. He never like went on Ellen and started dancing and acting like he was something he wasn't, right? Yeah. And so the key is stay authentic, stay true to yourself, but you also have to build something that's structural and traditional if you're going to actually really win. Right. So, but at what stage do you have to do that? Not until like stage two, stage three. Right. And you like can stay a, in stage one for three years. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, so authentic is, is getting all the Phil Stutz of the world. So you need kind of like your data guy, yeah. uh, your, you know, you're like a digital yeah. campaign manager. You need a traditional right. campaign manager. You need a body person to handle all your administrative needs. Uh, you need uh, fundraising people. You gotta need um, lawyers because you don't want to violate the law. You need if you're going to be railing against people that are gaming the system, you, you better make sure that you're following the election laws. Yeah, right. They get people. It, it, people don't realize this too, that if you criticize the system in a big way, they will come after you. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. So, and I the mean, other like, thing is because uh, uh, you have started businesses, you failed, you lost money, that vulnerability is what's lacking and what really, really resonates with people. So telling your authentic story, which is very real to you, uh, is very important for especially like, hey, you, you know, for the people that are in the middle class, people that are broke, I, I've been there. I've been there twice, actually, right? And what I'm trying to do is take you out of there as well. Yeah. It's so interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got me really thinking about this, Phil. Thank you. Uh, I think that's the main stuff I wanted to talk about. Cool. And it's interesting because I do think issues like this have to be broached because the cities, the cities are dead and nobody knows what to do. I've talked to congressmen. I've talked to candidates for mayor in New York. I even talked to the Federal Reserve about how to potentially one could go about bailing out New York. And no one, no one realizes what's happening. I mean, you see the articles, you know, New York City has had its biggest exodus ever. Uh, the biggest drop in property taxes, the biggest drop in sales taxes, the biggest drop in velocity of money, which people don't quite understand, but it's a real issue. I mean, this well, is I'm why- sure de Blasio has a plan and he'll, he'll figure it out and solve all these problems. Yeah, I, that's, I'm, I'm, that's the one thing I'm hoping for is that, because I know he's so competent. I mean, he had a press conference about me and Jerry Seinfeld's articles. That's how that's uh, much he really gave a shit about anything, which is zero. If he, if he, if I were him, and this is just a side thing that I know you have to go, but if I had been de Blasio, I would have been in Washington DC every week lobbying for stimulus and bailouts mm -hmm. and, and saying New York City, here's the main argument against a bailout for New York City is that then we got to bail out everybody. But New York City is the capital, the financial capital of the planet and it's in the US. He should have been saying that to maybe people not, who would have listened. Maybe it's maybe trending in a different direction. It may not be very long, for very much longer. Well, unfortunately that's correct now because of what's happening. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, was 70 financial firms last month like Goldman Sachs asset manager, not small ones, big ones moved, relocated to Miami. So it's a, it's a, it's a different world right now. And, and, and people are slowly realizing that or not. I don't know.
Well, let's continue this brainstorm. Uh, hopefully people find this interesting. I, I love it. Uh, I mean, this is all I've ever done. I sit with candidates and we talk about these things and then we develop plans out of them. So was there any candidate you met that you just like hated when you met them? Um, you don't have to say a name, but just like a yes or a no. Yes, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, now who, running who was running for Congress it? out of Pennsylvania. Okay, so like a, a local candidate, yeah. not a presidential one. You like no, 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 the presidential. I like all the, the ones we've worked with presidential. Really Is that because have. they're just the guys who make it to that level have such charisma, guys yes. and girls yes. who, who make. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's special about their charisma? Have you ever seen them learn charisma? I don't know about that. I, I don't know because usually I haven't been with them from the beginning. So, uh, but when you sit down with them, you're 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 taken pretty easily. Like I feel like I have like I'm likable in the sense that you know I perform and I I can see audiences' yeah. reactions to me and but I have like a like I'm crazy like a crazy sort of charisma. Like people look at me and say, "Oh, he's quirky," <laughs> and but they don't it, it, like I look like a I look at a Pete Buttigieg or or a, a, a Joe Biden or even an Andrew Yang. And I'm like, oh, he's polished. Like he's, yeah, right. he's a smooth guy. He's right. competent. And th they give off that charisma. Yeah. But we'll see. All right, Phil, I know you have to go. Thank you so much. I'll give you a call later. We got an update on various topics and cool. uh, good luck in your meeting. Thanks, man. All right, thanks, Phil Stutz. Wait, what's the name of your company and what's your, when's your next book coming out? Oh, I have, uh, the book is called uh, The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula that Elects Presidents. You can go to philipstutz.com backslash book and uh, you can pre-order it. It'll be out in April. Yeah, it'll be out in April and you're coming and it's out been again. Banned, it's been banned by Facebook and you can read all about it on that particular page as well. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember when you, when, when you wrote that. So, uh, uh, we'll have you back on for the book. And uh, as it, you know, if this conversation goes further, we'll certainly have you back on. You're going to be my campaign manager. Cool. Sounds but good. Jay, I promise Jay, he's going to be my chief of staff. <laughs> you guys are crazy. Thanks, Phil. See you later. All right. Bye. See you guys. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.